I'm Roger Baker, Executive Director of the Stratfor Center for Applied Geopolitics at RAIN, a global center of excellence for geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Learn how you can put geopolitics to work for your organization at RAINNetwork.com. Welcome to RAIN's Essential Geopolitics Podcast. My name is Emma Kami, and I will be your host today. Sudan descended into conflict on April 15th when the Sudanese armed forces clashed with a local paramilitary group known as the Rapid Support Forces. Since then, international players like the United States, the European Union, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and others have attempted to broker ceasefires between the warring sides, but have so far failed. Here with me today is Clara Brackbill, a sub-Saharan Africa analyst at RAIN. Welcome, Clara. Hi, Emma. At this point in time, Sudan is about 11 days into the conflict. So what's the kind of the latest on what's happening? Yes. So um, on April 24th, around midnight, um, there was news that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken had successfully brokered a 72-hour ceasefire between the Sudanese Armed Forces, the SAF, and the paramilitary group, the Rapid Support Forces, RSF. Uh, but quickly after, the ceasefire appeared to, to not be holding in parts of Khartoum in particular, and also in the neighboring city of Omdurman. Um, so while fighting has continued in Khartoum, this is the third ceasefire that's fallen through since the outbreak of violence on April 15th. Um, the story across the country is um, is not uniform. Apparently there are some local community groups that have successfully brokered a cessation of hostilities in some parts of Darfur. Um, but you know, as I said, fighting and troop movements um, around the presidential palace, the international airport, and military bases in Khartoum are ongoing um, today, April 26th. Um, there is also news that some ethnic militias are also arming or rearming in preparation to join the fight, um, which of course just further obscures the picture of what's going on and who holds what territory. Um, so far, over 450 people have been killed in the fighting and uh, over 3,700 injured. And the UN is reporting that the paramilitary RSF is using similar tactics to those it employed during the uh, 2003 war in Darfur, um, including mass killings, rape, and torture. Um, and then, you know, as both uh, both groups are vying for control of the capital, um, the the leaders of those groups for for the uh, paramilitary group, the RSF, that would be um, Hamedi, and then for the SAF, um, that would be General Al-Burhan. Um, both leaders appear to think that a military victory over the other is possible, um, which will just continue to extend violence, um, as well as erode the um, semblance of, of law and order that remains, as well as command and control systems that um, will likely further break down as fighting persists. The UN has also um, announced that it expects violence to actually escalate in the next 48 hours um, due to reports that the SAF will increase the use of air assets to target the positions, bases, and supply lines of the RSF, um, which means that uh, both Sudanese and foreigners that are still stuck in Khartoum can can expect um, heavy bombing and, and fighting in the next 48 hours. And how do you see the fighting evolving over the coming weeks? 
Well, in coming days and potentially weeks, um, the most likely scenario is that uh, urban fighting in Khartoum, Omdurman, and, and neighboring cities persists. Um, but with with the presence um, of sporadic and potentially uneven ceasefires, like the one that we saw a couple days ago. Um, at this point, a permanent ceasefire is improbable, um, given the, the remarks by both Burhan and Hamedi, um, as well as dissent and factionalism within the military and the RSF um, that will likely, uh, you know, lead to the increased likelihood of, of miscalculations um, and, and the breaking of even temporary ceasefires in, in some areas. Um, there are also hardliners within, within both groups, within both the SAF and the RSF that continue to um, oppose any ceasefire. So with that in mind, um, with continue, the continuation of fighting, um, international partners, Arab states like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the, the UAE um, will very likely continue to pressure both groups to at least temporarily halt fighting. Um, with that in mind, though, the SAF and RSF, at least in terms of uh, personnel on the ground, um, are somewhat evenly matched. Um, however, the, the military has um, a significant advantage in, in terms of air power. So as we extend the time horizon then, even if fighting um, on the ground in terms of gun battles persists in Khartoum and Omdurman, um, the likelihood that the SAF will uh, successfully relegate the RSF to peripheral areas around the country um, increases. So over the medium term, um, we may we may actually see what uh, what has started as a as you know concentrated urban warfare in Khartoum um, morph into uh, a, a sort of insurgency like conflict um, with the RSF attempting to regroup in in peripheral areas, potentially Darfur, given its um, given the RSF's historical um, connection uh, to the region. Um, the RSF emerged out of the Arab Janjaweed, which is one of the key forces in the 2003 Darfur War. Um, and then carry, the RSF would then carry out strikes on uh, military positions as well as civilian targets, with SAF forces continuing to attempt to root out RSF combatants. Um, and such a battle uh, has, has the potential to become a protracted conflict that lasts months um, or years and plunges Sudan as well as the region into a new humanitarian crisis. If Sudan does become embroiled in, in a protracted civil war, what what are the regional implications to that? Yes, so if the conflict um, ends up being, uh, has an extended timeline um, and remains, um, and fighting remains at, at a high caliber between the two sides, the regional fallout could be massive. Um, first and foremost, the humanitarian cost is likely to be extremely high. Um, Khartoum is a large city and um, continued fighting is likely to push millions of refugees into um, not only more rural parts of Sudan, but also uh, to, to push refugees attempting to flee into neighboring countries like Chad, um, Egypt, and South Sudan. Um, and even though fighting is, has only been ongoing, as you said, for about 11 days, we've already seen about 20,000 refugees attempting to enter um, South Sudan through, through Sudan's border. Um, the Chadian military has also reportedly closed um, its border with Sudan and, and uh, deployed a concentration of troops there. Um, 
but you know porous borders on all sides um, are, are likely to lead to outflows. Um, there's also very likely to be a, a high political cost of, of the ongoing fighting. Um, so, so when the conflict broke out on the 15th, um, Sudan was in the process of negotiating a transition to civilian rule um, between uh, Burhan, the military, um, Hamedi, the RSF, and um, civilian factions. Now, now that Sudan has descended into this conflict, the prospect of civilian leadership is far less likely, um, as the winner of this current conflict um, will very likely install himself and his cronies in a top leadership position um, and potentially use ongoing fighting as evidence that Sudan um, isn't ready, and I'm using air quotes there, um, for civilian rule. Um, and then with that, there are also regional security consequences. Um, so with uh, a massive humanitarian catastrophe, um, that, that creates uh, an opportunity um, ripe for exploitation by the myriad armed groups that are operating in and around Sudan um, that would very likely attempt to take advantage of the chaos that a prolonged civil war would bring. Um, and this could take, for, take the form of you know, exploiting smuggling routes, um, increased insecurity, um, attempting to uh, exploit the wartime economy um, to achieve their own disparate ends. And these could be um, criminal groups, they could be uh, groups of certain ideologies like jihadist groups, um, it really runs the gamut. Um, and then the longer that the war drags on, um, the messier it's likely to be in terms of foreign backing. So we already know that, uh, that Egypt supports the um, SAF, the Sudanese military, um, and there are, there's recent evidence um, that suggests that the Russian paramilitary Wagner group supports the RSF, the paramilitary group, and has provided them with some materials um, in, in the recent uh, fighting. But um, additional partners like Saudi Arabia, like the UAE, um, may have more incentive to become more heavily involved um, as uh, a peaceful resolution becomes you know, more and more distant as fighting continues. Um, in the short term, you know, a peaceful resolution to the conflict is is uh, certainly most compatible with uh, with regional parties' political and commercial interests. No one wants um, no one wants a, a crisis in Sudan, or I should say, a protracted crisis in Sudan. Um, but as I said, the the risk that countries like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE will back their preferred um, actor with more money, weapons, and other forms of military support increases um, the longer that the conflict persists and, and the longer that external parties become more concerned over power and influence in Sudan. Um, so yes, I would say we could break those into three buckets, the, the humanitarian cost, the political cost, and the cost to regional security. Well, thank you very much for that analysis. You can learn how geopolitical events like this could affect your business with Rain Worldview. Our flagship risk intelligence products provide clients with access to the insights and analyses they need to make more informed decisions and drive better risk management outcomes. Sign up at rainnetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E network.com. I'm Emma Kami. Thanks for listening.